Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we talk about how women are awesome. I am Karen Peterson, joined, as always, by the amazing Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. How are you, Lauren? I am tired. Why are you so tired? I'm tired because it's February, and it's cold, (laughs) but it's also getting warmer, and it's like all the snow's melting, but it's gross, and yeah, and it's not... Not, this is like my least favorite time of year. Well, I would like to take this opportunity to renew my invitation to you. <laughs> we have a guest room. You'd have your own private bathroom. It's like a whole luxury suite down there. I'm going to start just being like, you know what? I'm going to go to California in February from now yeah. on. Just yeah. like, you know, drop my dog off at my parents and just be like, <laughs> to, you watch out for him for a month. <laughs> just, just do it. It's fine. Uh, yeah because we've gotten like heat wave excessive heat warnings all week (laughs) yeah it's i mean it's warmer here it's 43 but it's just gross because we had all of this snow last week and now it's just all melting and covered in dirt and yeah it's no no fun yeah it's uh it's 63 right now i think the high today is like 90 (laughs) Okay, that's too hot, though. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's a little much for me. Oh, sorry. The high is 86. I exaggerated. But yeah, it's the Still first time. It's the first time that they've ever had to, at least this is what they were saying on the radio, um, that's the first time they've ever had to issue an actual excessive heat warning in February, ever, for Southern California. That's that's wild. Yeah, that's yeah. really hot. <laughs> but the planet's not warming up. <laughs> No, weird shit is not happening. I mean, it, it is going to be in the 50s here next week. So it's kind of like, this is not really normal for February, guys. This is not what we know. No, exactly. I should be cold and miserable. <laughs> well, this has been Weather Dames, brought to you by <laughs> us. I don't know. That's what we um, do every episode, no matter what. Like, exactly. Just like, hey, guys, what's what's the weather like on the coasts? <laughs> exactly anyway um did you have a good week i did have a good week more or less yes (laughs) did you sorry we didn't talk about this part but like did you see any movies this week that you were excited about or tv well now i'm blanking oh uh we've been um watching the after party actually based on your recommendation um and like i don't think because you recommended it and then it was popping up as an advertisement on my twitter and i was like oh this sounds exactly like the kind of thing i enjoy um and yeah I, I i am enjoying it a great deal it's very funny and very like at the same time i'm watching these people and i'm like you guys are middle class <laughs> also they graduated in like 2006 which is two years after i graduated high school and yeah. that's just very distressing to me <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot longer ago for me, so 
it's weird that people are celebrating a 15 year reunion and they graduated in 2006. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. fully an adult in 2006. Yeah, it, it was honestly a little upsetting when I saw that. I was like, no, uh-uh. no, we're not doing that right now. Thank you, though. Someone posted today that Vanessa Carlton Carlson's um, Thousand Miles song came out 20 <laughs> years ago. And it's like, that's that's a filthy lie. You take that back. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a magical time. Yeah, I'm getting old. Um, I realized every once in a while in the last couple of weeks, I've like, it pops into my head that we are living in the decade in which I turn 50 and I'm just like, that doesn't, no, that's not, that's not correct. That can't be right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Um, so before we jump into our main topics today, I did want to backtrack a little bit because for our ask me anything, ask us anything episode that we did a couple weeks ago, um, there was a question that we missed, and I had this nagging feeling that that had happened, but I could not remember, and we had a lot going on, and so I finally this week went and looked, and sure enough, there it was, sitting right in our inbox, and it's from Nicole. So sorry, Nicole, but we're going to answer it now. Uh, Nicole wanted to know, can you guys talk about your podcast intro and how you chose the sound bites? So for anybody who... Um, has had trouble identifying which sound bites we used. I'll just let you know what movies they're from. Um, it starts off with Ghostbusters Answer the Call, and then Bridesmaids, A Simple Favor, and kind of have a thing for Paul Feig, if you didn't notice. <laughs> um, Promising Young Woman, Birds of Prey, and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Captain Marvel, um, and then it's Mae West, but I cannot remember which movie it's from. Uh, I think it's from uh, She Done Him Wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And then for our name intros, we have um, Angelica Houston introducing Lauren Bacall, or, or presenting her with an honorary Oscar. And then Taika Waititi actually saying my name in the press room at the Oscars the year that he won. So uh, that's where those quotes came from. The reason that we chose the ones that we did is... Um, they're movies that we love, and they're quotes that I think really reflect some of the um, uh, feedback that we get <laughs> uh, on social media and some of our general just attitudes and feelings about being women on the internet talking about movies. Do you have yep. anything to add? That, that sounds about right. Actually, I think I'm wrong. I think it was I'm no angel. As soon as I said she done him wrong, I'm like, no, I, I don't think that's right. Oh, okay. It's the, it's the uh, when I'm bad, uh, I'm very bad. Yeah. yeah. When I'm good, I'm, uh, when I'm, when good, I'm, I'm very good, good. And when I'm bad, I'm better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> so that's how we chose them. We do like to change them up periodically. So if you ever have a sound clip that you think would be perfect for our intro, send it our way. And then next year when we when we uh, change it up and update it, maybe we'll throw it into the mix. So awesome. Okay. Well, um, if you missed it this week, the Oscar nominations were announced. And I assume that you were in a coma or you live under a rock. Or you are just a normal person who doesn't care about the Oscars and you just like movies, which is also fine. Um, yeah, so 
we did get a couple of questions, some good questions about our feelings about the Oscars and about some of the things that were nominated. But um, in general, before we get into those, Lauren, what were a few of your general thoughts as you looked at the list of nominees? I mean, none of it was particularly surprising to me. Um, there were a few things that were a little disappointing. I was really glad to see all of the nominations that uh, Power of the Dog got. Um, yeah, because. Definitely. And I kind of, I mean, I, like, it wasn't surprising. I kind of expected that, but I was glad when it happened anyways, because you never know with the Oscars, they can do all sorts of things that I don't agree with. Um, so I was really pleased about that. Uh, one of the things that, you know, and this, this was true for me last year as well, is that I haven't seen a lot of these films, um, partially because, and I probably by the time the Oscars actually happen, I will have seen more of them, but partially because a lot of them, you know, haven't been released on streaming yet. I haven't been going to movie theaters. So there's a whole bunch that I just have not, I've heard about, or, uh, you know, we've talked about or whatever, but a lot of them, I just, I haven't actually seen. So I'm like, well, I don't really have an opinion on this. There are a few that I don't want to see, like being the Ricardos. Um, I have absolutely no interest in that film whatsoever. Uh, but I was glad to see, you know, like people like Jesse Plemons and, um, and, and Cumberbatch and Denzel Washington uh, getting nominations. Of course, Jane Campion getting a nomination, which we expected. But again, I'm always like, but is it going to happen? Um, I was very glad to see that The Last Duel got like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and not because I still haven't seen the film, but just because I hate all of the discourse that has gone on around that film. And I was just like, oh, look, look, look. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I think that uh, that uh, Barb and Star was completely shut out. And that is very unfair. It was snubbed, in fact. <laughs> well, um, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> Yeah, for the most part, I nothing seemed terribly surprising or bizarre or anything like that. I know that a number of people were talking, I think we're going to talk about it, a number of people were talking about, you know, like, oh, this film didn't get nominated, this actor didn't get nominated, it's total snub. I'm like, is it though? Is it? <laughs> yeah, we really overuse that word snub. It's become my life's mission and work to get people to stop using that word because most of the time it's not a snub. A snub indicates some intentionality like people intentionally got together and said we want to make sure that this doesn't happen uh and in most cases that's not what happens you know i, I was on a um, twitter space yesterday we were talking about the oscar nominations and one of the points that i was trying to get people to understand is that there's only five slots and once the nominations come out and people start looking at what didn't make it into those categories, obviously in best picture, there's 10, but the rest there's five and people start looking at like, Oh, well, I can't believe this per I you know, I can't believe Lady Gaga didn't get nominated for best actress. And yeah, that was surprising considering how well she was doing with all the other, um, all the other places that people typically quote unquote need to get nominated on the road to getting an Oscar nomination. But that doesn't mean that everyone in the Academy who voted for the nominations only voted for the five women who got nominated. There were lots of people who got votes, yeah. just not enough to actually make it into the five. So I'm sure Lady Gaga was like number six and she was probably pretty close 
it just ultimately didn't quite work out for her. So well, and I I admit as someone who I don't particularly follow the awards, I kind of pay you know I notice them and then I move on. So I'm not in I'm not into this in the same way that that you are that a lot of people are. Um, but I was surprised that there was so much like belief that she was going to get an Oscar nomination because to me it was like but. I mean, the film didn't do terribly well, did it? It didn't get great reviews. She was kind of the one who got the most praise. Mm -hmm. But it didn't surprise me that, like, you know, she she didn't get... There was there had been no real discussion of, like, the merits of that performance, particularly. It was basically like, well, she's the best in a not very good film. Um, yeah. Which, you know, fair enough. And and that, that's not a knock on Lady Gaga at all. Right. Uh, the, the other thing that I, I found kind of, I found offensive, actually, is that there was all this kind of outpouring, just like, oh, Lady Gaga is probably throwing a fit right now. Lady Gaga is <laughs> doing this. There's all of this infight in between Kristen Stewart stands and the Lady Gaga stands. And I'm sitting there going like, you know what? Everything I've ever seen from Lady Gaga is that she's like really supportive of other women. Mm -hmm. and does not seem like the kind of person who's going to be marching around her mansion throwing things because yeah. she didn't get an Oscar nomination. She might be disappointed, which I, I completely understand. But, you know, it's just... An, and then, like, her her um, her hair designer got a nod, right? Mm -hmm. And she wrote this wonderful thing about how wonderful this was. She's so proud. And all this, you know, totally deserved. I was like, see, she's like a nice person who supports the person who got a nod yeah well it, it's so odd to me because in the cases of both lady gaga and Kristen stewart the way the fans have just attacked each other attacked anybody they perceived as being against their girl um they've just been so horrible and it's like if you were actually truly a fan of either of these women, you, you would understand that they don't support this kind of behavior. They definitely don't condone it and they would not want you doing it in their name. Yeah, neither one of them seem like the kind of people that encourage that sort of piling on. No. Um, they're not in, you know, especially when it, it comes to things like awards and stuff like that. They're, they just don't seem to be those sort of people. It's I, I mentioned this on Twitter. I was like, Lady Gaga would be really disappointed in some of you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and uh, you know, since we are going to go in and talk about some more specifics with the Oscars, I also just wanted to say, too, like, yeah, you're not super into them. I am. For me, they're just fun. It's not the end-all be-all of whether movies are good and deserve to continue to live on and, and the ones who don't get nominated have to just disappear forever. And there are people that take this so personally. And I just it makes me really frustrated. It's become in the last couple of years, it's been a lot less fun to cover and, and write about and talk about the Oscars because people just get so rapid. It's sort of like what we've talked about a lot with, you know, Zack Snyder fans or DC fanboys in general, or, you know, any other, you know, collection of people that wrap their identities up in their fandom. That is also happening with awards. And, it makes it very frustrating to try to talk about, you know, oh, well, I think, you know, Olivia Coleman is going to get nominated. Why do you hate this person? It's like, well, uh, what? I don't. I'm not saying what I want to happen. I'm saying what I think will. And this year I decided to just reclaim the fun and just just kind of push everyone else's voices out if, if they're 
too wrapped up in it because it's really, it's all silly. None of this, it definitely getting Oscar nominations can help boost people, can help boost careers, can help boost films and get eyeballs on, on projects that otherwise might have mostly gone ignored. But it also doesn't monumentally change the industry. The filmmakers themselves are the ones who are doing that. The studios are the ones that are doing that. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm going back this year to just having fun at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, the Oscars is is kind of in a weird, all awards are in a weird place, but the Oscars Mm -hmm. in particular, because, um, and we've talked about it before. It's interesting that um, this sort of fandom culture, right, is coinciding with, uh, a rise in diversity, actually, in um, in uh, even in Oscar nominations, right? So you're getting mm-hmm. more women, more people of color, um, more just even non-standard Oscars. So Parasite winning a couple yeah. years ago, right? That kind of thing where that would have been unheard of five or 10 years ago. Um, and and so on the one hand you're kind of like well that's that's a good thing right that's the the oscars are beginning to recognize these films that you wouldn't have expected they would recognize in you know the 90s or the or the early aughts right right but at the same time there's this increasing division there's this increasing attitude of like if a film doesn't get nominated for an oscar film doesn't win an oscar a person doesn't win then they cease to exist you know <laughs> um like like i like you said earlier this week it's just like well we know that this just erases all of the films <laughs> that didn't get nominated right so obviously we have to burn all copies of them exactly. um, but there is that sensation and it's very bizarre because of, of course it's it's a it's a big award but it isn't the only award and we know that this isn't the only indicator of quality. And in fact, sometimes it's not an indicator of quality at all. Sometimes right. it's just an indicator of what people have voted for among a bunch of different films. Exactly. Um, yeah, One thing it's, you it's just... It's a weird oh, tension. It's a weird tension. Yeah. One thing you just said, I it reminded me of something else that I wanted to just, just say really quick, too. Um, because this is something else that has come up this week. I made a point that... Um, from the 90th to the 94th Academy Awards, as many women have been nominated, like not number of women, but we've had as many female director nominations in that time as we had in the entire first through 89th Oscars. And because it was four and four, um, of course, Jane Campion is in both of those, those collections, but, um, my point in saying that was that it was about five years ago that the Academy really started to make an, a concerted effort to broaden their membership and really looking for diverse voices, for more women to join them, for more people of color, for more international filmmakers from not just Europe, but all over the world. They've really made a concerted effort to broaden the membership of the Academy to kick out people who were still voting but hadn't really been in the industry at all for years. You know, really making this this focus on change and growth and moving with the times. And change is slow. It's never as fast as it should be or as we want it to be. But you can clearly see if you look over the, the last five years of what's been nominated and not just with women, but with international films too, uh, 
you can really see that that change is starting to happen. And I had a couple of people jump in and say, well, but there's also, it's just, this is happening because there's more opportunities for women. There's more opportunities for black filmmakers. There's more opportunities for international films to get seen in the United States. And those are things that are all true. But I also think it's really important to point out that even if you had movies like The Power of the Dog coming out 20, 30, 40 years ago, the Academy members of 20, 30, and 40 years ago probably still wouldn't be voting for it. And it probably would not have been the most nominated film of the year. So they go hand in hand is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah, there's definitely a, there's, there's a symbiotic relationship, obviously. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, and the Academy also tends to, Hollywood generally, but the Academy in particular, also tends to be about five or ten years behind the contemporary culture. Yes. So wherever <laughs> the current progressive culture is at, it's usually a little bit further back. So it's, it's a fairly, in a lot of ways, it's a fairly conservative industry because um, they're trying to appeal to the widest audiences. So they're not going for the more, I guess, dangerous things right um perceived as dangerous uh the the more kind of avant-garde actually trying to push the medium in a new direction um so it's really good actually to see things like parasite and moonlight and power of the dog and nomadland and all of the people that are involved in those getting nominations because these are not you know we we talked for so long about oscar bait movies oscar bait movies have changed massively like you look at some of these films that aren't getting nominations just like those are the oscar bait films mm-hmm um, those are the ones that, you know, would get nominated 15 years ago, but that's not happening anymore. And so there is definitely a change happening. Yeah, definitely. And, and not just you can sense it, you can actually see it. And, and I think that that it's, it's important. To, I, I think some people, when they read what I was trying to say, they thought I was saying like, oh, everything's fixed now. And I was just like, no, no, no. I said it is changing. Not that it has changed. That's an important distinction. And it's, you know, we can't let our guard down. We can't stop fighting the fight. But I think when when we do see these these bits of progress, I think we do need to praise it and, and let them know, yeah, this is we want to see more of this. Keep doing what you're doing. So, yeah. Yeah. Do we want to do we want to talk briefly about the whole thing with Spider-Man? <laughs> I was just going <laughs> to ask you if you wanted to go there. <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, you know, let people know who aren't on social media in the way that we are, what this is all about, because I think it's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Yeah, so Spider-Man is one of the highest grossing films of all time. Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, which just came out in, what, November? And it's closing in on, um, I think Avatar is its next uh, domestic um, movie to overtake. And it probably will do that this week. But um, anyway, so one of the highest grossing films of all time, I think it's like the third or fourth highest grossing film overall, not adjusted for inflation, because adjusted for inflation, it's still gone with the wind and more modern movies are down like in the 10 to 12 range. But um, anyway, besides the point, Spider-Man No Way Home got nominated for visual effects and that is it it was not nominated for best picture like certain other huge uh, box office movies like avatar and titanic and some people are pretty mad about that including people like kevin smith who are talking about how it's it's you know oh that's so fucked up to 
did not nominate the biggest movie of the year. And um, other people have joined in on that too. Some some normally smart people have piled onto this. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of, that's the, the crux of, of what's happened. I personally think the whole thing is silly because box office and awards worthiness, you know, I say worthiness kind of a little bit, you know, with an asterisk next to it because that's very subjective word. But, um, but those two don't go hand in hand. Just because a movie made a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean that we should be throwing awards at it. And one of the big differences between Spider-Man and Avatar and Titanic is that Avatar and Titanic, whether you like those movies or not, they were game changer movies for the industry. They made a lot of money because they were, you know, just technical achievements that really grabbed the entire, you know, the film going world and the whole industry. And that's why they were made a lot of money and also got nominated for a billion Oscars. Spider-Man No Way Home isn't a game changer of a movie. It made a lot of money because people were ready for just a big blockbuster again. It had been a long time since we'd all collectively gone to the movies together. And I know, Lauren, you didn't. But, um, you know, a lot of us did. And, you know, I, I think that... Th- the problem with saying like, well, just because it made a lot of money, it needs to be recognized by the Academy Awards is obviously a silly argument. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's been like just watching. It's like, okay, but it already, it's a, it's reward is that it made a lot of money. Like what more do you want? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. What more do you want? And I mean, I, I think that the closer one, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Avatar and Titanic, both of which are original films. Right. I mean, they're not they're not sequels. They're not, you know, entries into an already established fran- franchise. You know, I'm not a big fan of either of those films, but they were original films. And they and like you say, they were kind of they were big. They yeah. were surprising. They were actually, in a lot of ways, you know, at least visually, they were pushing the envelope. Um, you know, I, I Avatar did not have the same kind of cultural effect that I think people thought it was going to have. Right. <laughs> um, like, I mean, honestly, has anyone really talked about Avatar much since Avatar came out? We talk about it every once in a while when we remember that there are a whole bunch of sequels that are supposedly going to come out someday. And I still can't um, remember a single character's name in that movie. No, it, it's it's like, so it was a big spectacle, basically. It was yeah. a spectacle film. Um, but they were original films. So, like, some of the closer ones would be, like, Black Panther or, um, you know, uh, The The Dark... Force Awakens. Star Wars Episode yeah. Seven. That movie is actually, if you look at just the domestic box office numbers, that's the first movie or the closest anything has gotten to a billion dollars. It made nine hundred and thirty-six million dollars. Didn't get nominated for Best Picture, <laughs> and nobody cried about it either. <laughs> well, well, probably some people did, but but I mean, but that's that's the thing. The only I, and someone pointed this out on on social media earlier today. Actually, the only thing that people who are like, why didn't this film get nominated? are talking about is the box office. Yeah. They're not talking about the actual merits of the film. Right. So there might be an argument to be made about the merits of Spider-Man, right, mm-hmm. as a film, but that's not the argument. So to say, like, well, it made all of this money, it's just like, that's not criteria for 
getting an award exactly like there and in fact you know look at the list of films not just the ones that are nominated for best picture but any of them you know the the international films a, a lot of them did not make a lot of money um they're being nominated ostensibly for their artistic value you know and we can argue about that we could disagree with the artistic value of those films but that's what the criteria is supposed to be right um so so yeah if you're gonna make a case for spider-man which you might be able to make the case that its artistic value is meaningful Mm-hmm. Um, at, at the end of the day, I, I think that a lot of the people, including people like Kevin Smith, there's still the sense of inadequacy, um, yeah. that, you know, even though superhero films and franchises are some of the biggest money makers, they are driving other films out of the box office completely, right? Mm-hmm. They're driving other films out of theaters. They are dominating in every possible way, but there's still this sense of inadequacy. And we see it in all of the questions that people get about, you know, who should direct a Marvel movie, all the questions that people get about like, well, is a Marvel movies are all of the like anger that gets tossed at poor Scorsese, who does not give a shit. Um, What, you know, what Tom Holland thinks of him, honestly, I do not (laughs) think he knows who Tom Holland is, but it's exactly that. It's that sense of like, no, you need to know who I am. You need to know that this is important. And it's just like, dude, you're not going to get that acknowledgement. Right. From a particular type of film goer, a particular filmmaker or or an awards body. It's just not going to happen. And that's okay. That doesn't mean your films are bad. Right. Right. But there is the sense of inadequacy that gets going around, especially around franchise films, especially around superhero films, that it's they still want some kind of um, acknowledgement that they're the most important. Yeah. Yeah. And they're really upset that they're not getting that acknowledgement. Yeah. I saw a tweet this morning. Uh, this is from uh, at Titus Joel Banks. And he said, I believe the Oscars should not be made to pander to people who watch like six to ten movies a year, more often than not in the same genre, simply because they somehow think they're owed. But hey, that's just me. And I was like, yeah, exactly. You know, so many times I, I see this with the Emmys, too, where people will complain about all the movies that were nominated like uh that's not the best movie okay well which ones of these did you watch and they haven't actually watched anything that's been nominated it's just that the stuff that they like that they did see which is not very much didn't get in so they just invalidate the whole process mentally and it's like okay but how how can you say that the movies they got in over the ones that you watched are bad? You haven't seen them. You don't know. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, exactly. And and the other thing, when it comes to something like Spider Man, the, there is this sense of like, oh well, if we just got a nomination, then it would be legitimized at some level. Right. And it's just like, no, literally everybody would talk about how it didn't deserve to get nominated. That yeah. would be the main discourse around that film. It mm-hmm. would not be, you know, oh, isn't this great? It would be more like this is pandering and this is bullshit. Yeah. Um, and that and that's that's the reality of it. Like, I'm not saying that it's necessarily correct. I'm just saying that that's what would happen. That is the reality of these kinds of awards. And so, you know, maybe just embrace the fact that these films are getting made. You're going to they're going to keep on getting made and they dominate culture. So what are you complaining about? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we needed um, to bully nor- nerds more, obviously. Yes, 
clearly. (laughs) (laughs) So we did get some good questions. Um, And some of this, I think, will bring us a little bit around back to to what we've just been talking about. It'll be kind of full circle, I think. But um, first of all, from Connor, he asked, what were each of your favorite surprises from the nominations? Um, surprises? Well, I was a little surprised that, uh, that Kristen Stewart got nominated just because she had been, she hadn't been nominated for so many other things. So I was a little surprised by that. And I'm glad. I think that she deserves that nomination very much. Um, I was really glad to see both Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons get nods. I I mean, I expected Benedict Cumberbatch, um, so that one didn't surprise me, but the two of them are such, they are great supporting players and, uh, and they were so effective in those roles. So I was, I was a little surprised that they both got nominations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So this year was weird because I, you know, I felt like. For me, and and again, I cover the awards, so I kind of have a sense of what's coming, but I felt like there was very little that actually surprised me. Even stuff that, like in my predictions, I had about 75% accuracy, which is pretty pretty strong for predictions for nominations, not even the winners. Um, But... Even the ones that I didn't quite get right, I had put in alternates and most of those. It's like, well, if I got one of these wrong, it was the alternate that they went with. So they're really, for me, and I'm not I'm not saying all that to brag. I'm just saying, you know, like this is just the nature of, of kind of my job. So there weren't a lot of surprises, but there were some pleasant things that I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that actually happened. Like, for example, Flea getting nominated for animated feature, documentary feature, and international feature. I knew it was likely to happen, but the fact that it actually did was just so awesome to see. I was really, really happy about that. Um, Seeing Ari Wegner become the second woman nominated for cinematography for The Power of the Dog was really, really great. Uh, She has a strong chance of winning, which is even better. Um, I think if I had a surprise, it was probably in... um, production design, seeing the tragedy of Macbeth get in. That was one that I thought, no, this is too cool for the Academy. They won't go for it. And then they did. So I was very happy uh, about that because that production design is really incredible. It's such a memorable production design. Mm -hmm. Like it's so, I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's so, it's so itself, whatever that is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so um, so those were were mine, I guess. Um, I actually I was surprised, sort of, a little bit about uh, Jesse Buckley getting in for the Lost Daughter in supporting actress. This is the third time that two actors have been nominated together in a year for playing the same character. <laughs> so, um, and uh, yeah. I, I think that they're both really, really great. Have you seen The Lost Daughter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I saw The Lost Daughter a couple weeks ago. I thought you had. I thought we had talked about it, but I couldn't remember. So, yeah. So that was one that I, I was really happy to see as well. Um, <laughs> let's see. And then Raul asked a two-part question, and both parts go to two different topics today. So, part one... What are your thoughts on the movies that got in for international feature? Did you dislike any? I'm glad for Lunana, and I wish I'm Your Man had made it. I'm Your Man is the German film directed by, I believe, Maria Schrader. Really good. It's available to watch, I think, on Hulu. 
Um, so even though it didn't get nominated, it still exists and it's on Hulu and you can go watch it. <laughs> and you should, because it's good. Um, have you seen or have any thoughts on the international features? Are you looking up the list right now? <laughs> I am looking at the list. I'm like, I literally have not seen any of these films. I have, <laughs> I have both Flea and the worst person in the world on like all set to go, but I have not seen them yet. So oh I have no, gosh. I have no opinion on this. <laughs> oh, both of those movies are so great. <laughs> so um, this is where I'm going to make some people very mad at me because there's two that I still haven't seen. Um, one of which is the presumptive winner Drive My Car from Japan, which I say presumptive winner because it's very rare for a film to get into best picture as well and not win international feature. So I think that one's probably going to do it. Um, and I also have not yet watched The Hand of God, which is sitting on Netflix and I just... Someone told me I probably wouldn't like it. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll watch it if it gets nominated. So, um, yeah. Um, I love, like I said, I love Flea and I love the worst person in the world. Um, I did see Lunana and I am very happy for the country of Bhutan that the movie made it in. Um, but I don't necessarily love it. It's one of those things where I'm more happy with the story behind the movie than with the movie itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, it's not anything that we haven't seen before. Um, you know, it's the city kid who kind of is forced to go out to this really remote school to teach. And of course he doesn't want to go and it's going to be terrible and, um, He's got a bad attitude, but he is quickly won over by this really sweet town and by these really adorable children. Um, so it's not anything groundbreaking. But what I did really appreciate about it and why I'm still happy that it got nominated, even over some other things that I really, really liked, was um, that it's a, it's a great introduction to a culture that I've never seen depicted before. I've never really seen Bhutan on the big screen. Um I've never seen a movie from Bhutan. I've never been there. I didn't know very much. I still don't know very much at all about that country. But um, that's the thing. Like, so even though the basic story was like, eh, whatever, they really do get into some of the cultural um, things that make this part of the world special. And so I think that was awesome. And I think that's really ultimately what the international feature lineup should be about is not just... um, not just like, oh, popular international films, but ones that really do challenge the way we see the world or broaden our experiences with it. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I was disappointed and in hindsight shouldn't have been so surprised to see a, a hero miss out. Oscar mm. Farhadi. The reason I say I shouldn't have been so surprised is because I feel like Amazon. They own it. It's on Amazon to watch. It's great, great film. Um, but I feel like they just kind of were trying to coast on Farhadi's name, and I don't think that they really did enough work to get that nomination. So that was really unfortunate. And it's such a such a good film. It's really um, it really dives into some uh, questions of moral complexity. 
So I would encourage people to, to go watch that if they haven't. Um, and also, if it does come to a theater near you at any point or kind of within your region, go see Memoria. It's an experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. And Mason asked... What do you think the Oscars will look like in 10 years? With the continued rise of streaming, their struggle with ratings, and the constant debate about whether they're populist enough, do you think they're in a watershed moment? So I want to start by saying that I think that we need to, um, I think this is a time where we need to really broaden our understanding of Oscar ratings and, and people watching the Oscars. If you look at social media, and not just film Twitter, but you look at, you know, I mean, my Facebook feed full of people who are outside of film talking about what's in and what's out. Um, people who normally don't tweet about movies tweeting about it. You know, like, people talk about the Oscars. They will go back and watch clips of it. Um, they will read stuff about what's nominated and, and look at movies, even if they're not watching this show. What has changed is our viewing habits. And we're in a time where people tend to not sit down for, you know, three plus hours to watch one thing. They'll do that and watch several episodes of something, but not like they need natural breaks. They need, you know, episodes, that kind of thing. Like for people to just sit down and watch start to finish one continuous thing just usually doesn't happen anymore. And so I think that, and this also ties into like the dip in the Oscar ratings also directly correlates to people cutting the cord. And so I think what is probably likely is in the next couple of years, um, the Oscars themselves will move off of ABC channel seven on regular TV and move over to like Hulu or something else. If they stay with, with that company, if they could also move to another host altogether, they've mm -hmm. been with ABC since the seventies, but who knows, you know, so maybe they'll just move to YouTube and just stream live on YouTube. I don't know. But I think that'll be a switch that we'll probably start to see first of all. Well, it, it is one of the things that's driven me crazy because I don't have cable. I haven't had cable since I left home, basically. Mm -hmm. my, my parents don't even have cable anymore. So the and finding ways to watch the Oscars as someone who exclusively relies on on different streaming services, I'm willing. I would be willing to pay a premium actually to watch to just watch the Oscars. But the problem is, I can't even do that. Right. I can, you know, like I can stream it if I get, you know, Hulu with live TV for a month. Try, you know, there are all of these different ways that you try to find workarounds for it. But after a while, it's just like this isn't worth it. This isn't worth the amount of time and effort to go into trying to watch this show and. And I'm someone who's interested in films and I would like to watch the Oscars. So uh, for someone who just isn't that into it and, uh, and also is, is reliant purely on streaming services, which is a lot of people now. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it just feels like it's a, it's a losing proposition. And I, I'm not, I still don't understand why ABC has not created some sort of app where you can literally just pay to stream the Oscars. Yeah. Um, you know, for for that special event, because I think they would make money doing that and they would get a lot of viewership doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so in, in terms of the, the other parts of, of Mason's question, you know, the 
the rise of streaming. The other thing that I was thinking about um, is how we're seeing more and more films that are coming out of Netflix and Amazon. And, you know, we're going to keep on seeing that more and more. So we're going to see, you know, HBO Max and Peacock and Paramount Plus, all of the places that have sur that survive, right? Apple. Um, yeah, Apple. That's another one. Right. Coda got nominated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and Tragedy and, of Macbeth got yeah. nominations, too. Uh, and so, so much is now this this hybridization, right? And... Um, and thinking about not just, you know, how we watch the Oscars, but also how we watch the films that get nominated for Oscars. Uh, that's obviously changing. And I'm glad to see that the Oscars seem to be like accepting that there isn't this trying to freeze out streaming films because, you know, in, unlike what Spielberg wanted, et cetera. <laughs> um, but I think that that's also gonna change the way that we watch the Oscars and the way that we pay attention to the Oscars because those films are gonna be more ubiquitously available. Yeah, uh, it isn't going to be about theaters anymore, particularly in the past few years where you've had the pandemic and, you know, people have box office has gotten very weird, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's good to see that the Oscars are actually moving along with that, that they're not trying to resist it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that change was kind of forced on them by the pandemic. And so sometimes, um, you know. I have a friend who works in education as well in a different, um, she works at a different school than I do and, and in a much different type of job. But early in the pandemic, we were talking about how disruption forces change and that we were both hoping that schools shutting down and forcing everyone online, for example, would really start to change the way people look at education and what is possible with education, especially online education. And I think we're seeing that too with, um, with the Oscars and with, with film in general is I think we're seeing, um, what this disruption to the traditional way that, you know, it's always been done releasing in the theaters first. I think we're seeing that, that doesn't diminish the quality of the movies that we have to choose from. Uh, if anything, it's actually creating more opportunities for really great stuff and really groundbreaking new things. And so I think that uh, when they first announced the rule change last year to, um, to adjust for the pandemic and still be able to have Oscar eligible movies. And so they were, they said, okay, you don't have to have a theatrical release as long as you were planning one, but this is temporary just for this year. And then of course that went into, you know, that was 2020 and then that bled into 2021. And I think it's pretty safe to say now that that's going to be a permanent change. I don't think after these last two years and seeing what that has done, I just can't imagine that an academy that's really committed to growing with the times, which they seem to be in general, um, I can't see them going back to, nope, theatrical only, no day and date. They're, it's it's done. It's over. It's not going to happen. So, And I think that's really exciting. I'm glad that they're embracing it, even if it was because they had to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you know what? It's giving people more access to Oscar-nominated films, too. I, re yeah. I remember I, I recently um, had a conversation with one of my parents' friends. And this is like upstate New York. A lot of these films do not get released in movie theaters. They do, like Parasite. When Parasite came out, it they was not available mm -hmm. um, in theaters in, in these, you know, this small town in upstate New York. It just wasn't there. Uh, 
And, and we were talking about Power of the Dog and I had recommended Power of the Dog to her and she was saying how much she enjoyed it. And I was honestly a little surprised because I was like, okay, this is a slow movie, <laughs> but she loved it. And I'm just like, look, this is opening up access to these films, right? And you, so like, you could actually say like, this is not, you know, a niche movie. This is something that you can watch on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and you can actually, and you might like it, you might not, but at least you, you have that option to experience it. And, and that's got to help the Oscars too, that people have more opportunities to actually see these films. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, so a couple of years ago when MoviePass was running amok before it died and apparently is getting resurrected. I don't know. We'll see what happens there. <laughs> that's getting weird. weird. It's yeah. really weird. <laughs> well, one of the things that we saw, because people had been lamenting the death of theaters, and like, this is pre-pandemic. This is a couple years before the pandemic. And people were crying that nobody's going to the movies anymore. And then MoviePass drops their price from $50 a month to $10 a month. Suddenly, everybody signs up. Every movie I went to was practically full. Because people would go and check out stuff. Because they didn't feel like... It was a risk anymore. It wasn't, okay, do I pay $18 for this Marvel movie that I'm probably going to like just because it's a Marvel movie and I like those? Or am I going to pay that same $18 to go watch this movie from South Korea with people I've never heard of or seen before? Um, and MoviePass took that question out of the equation. It became, you know, well, I already I already used my ticket to see Marvel's movie, so I guess now I'll go see this other one because, you know, you couldn't see the same movie twice and all that. And so it, it made people try new things and they were excited to do so. And it really opened up that, that opportunity for people and so many more films were getting seen. And it proved that people still wanted to go to the movies. They still wanted to see this stuff. They just didn't want to pay astronomical prices to do so. And now we're seeing that on streaming too. People have it in their home. They're already paying for the subscription. If they turn on the power of the dog and they're 20 minutes in, they're like, oh, this isn't really moving fast enough for me. I don't like this. They can turn it off and they're not out anything. Yeah, there there isn't that same sort of forcing you to commit and a lot of people just won't commit like you say they won't commit to the to the power of the dog right right they but they will to spider-man because you have this guarantee that you're gonna like it and um yeah it's it's a good point with movie pass and then also to to a lesser degree with uh some of the other various theater passes mm -hmm. um i mean i know that back before the pandemic you know i had the amc whatever amc rewards AMC. a list yeah a list there we go which i finally wound up canceling because i'm like i don't know when i'm going back to movie theaters <laughs> i'm not doing this right but i went to a lot more films in fact i saw films multiple times that's how i saw birds of prey like six times yeah um but i went to a lot more films and so it it was and now i live in new york right so i have a there's a lot of stuff that gets released in amc theaters in new york city but there was that there was a lot more access and and yeah you get the same thing with streaming exactly mm -hmm. yeah all right so thank you for those questions we're gonna move into uh, what was going to be our main topic but um apparently we had a lot to say about the oscars and <laughs> i am not mad about it i Talk. love talking about the oscars so <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so this is the weekend of that one oh, Lincoln's birthday. That's it. No, um, <laughs> this is Valentine's weekend that we're recording this. And we decided, you know what? We want to talk about Galentine's Day because 
Um, who needs that icky love stuff? We want to talk about female friendships in movies, so that's what we're going to do. I wanted to start off by saying that today is a very special anniversary. It is the one-year anniversary of the release of Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, <laughs> the best movie of 2021. Um, and I said we'd come back to this. I wanted to address that I will go to my grave believing that if Lionsgate had waited and released this movie on March 1st and made it eligible for the 94th Oscars, Edgar's Prayer would have been nominated for an Academy Award for original song. <laughs> I will never not believe that. <laughs> it got So it got caught up in that weird flux because they had expanded the 93rd eligibility year into the end of February. So it was eligible for the 2020 Oscars, not the 2021 Oscars. And then the only song they submitted from the movie was I Love Boobies. <laughs> Surprisingly, did not make the Oscar shortlist and also was not nominated for an Academy <laughs> Award. So, yeah. Anyway. So, Lauren, to start us yes. off... <laughs> Um, what are one or two of your favorite Galentine's Day movies? Well, I mean, I think I have to mention Birds of Prey. We talked about bird. We talk about Birds of Prey like constantly on Do we? the show. I don't feel like we talk about it that much. All right, we need to talk about it more then. We haven't. Birds I mean, this is Prey... the first time we've talked about it today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mentioned it earlier. I did just like I literally I just mentioned Birds of Prey. I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> And how I saw it six times, six <laughs> times in the movie That's theater. That's not enough. That's not enough. You're the reason that that movie did not get number one in the uh, box office. It only got number three. <laughs> but it's such a <laughs> wonderful movie about female friendship. Like, it, it really, really is. is. It's about found family. It's about, like... Like, so much of, of Harley's arc in that movie is not just about kind of accepting herself and coming into her own, but it's also finding that community of women that she needs. Mm -hmm. and, and, and she's so desperate for it throughout the film. Like, you see her trying so hard to reach out to other women and to have connections with other women. And, and she struggles with it, right? But it, it's such a wonderful film about that, about girls coming together to beat the shit out of men. <laughs> um to like you know get all the bad guys it's it's so good and i love it so much and it yeah so yeah definitely birds of prey uh is a major one for me another one that i actually just recently thought of is nine to five yes um which of course if you haven't seen nine to five i don't know what to tell you you better go see it but it's like it's jane fonda and dolly parton and <laughs> lily tomlin and they get together to to again women beating the hell out of men um, who deserve but, it who deserve it to get revenge on their bad sexist misogynist boss mm -hmm. like and it's just so fantastic and it's amazing because it's not it's not a recent film at all right and so it's dealing and so it's dealing with some of these issues of corporate culture and sexism within the workplace and things like that and what was ex what you know was acceptable in the 1980s and what is unfortunately still treated as being acceptable now uh, but again, it's it's one of those where you get these very different women, and they're very different characters, but all of them are treated with a great deal of respect, a great deal of love, they become close friends, they, um, they're not pitted against each other. One of the things that I hate in certain films is um, 
how female friendships are so often viewed as backstabbing at some level. Mm -hmm. uh, that there's always this conflict between them about men, about jobs, et cetera. But these women are just 100% there for each other. Um, and yeah, I absolutely love that. Yeah. So what about you, Karen? Well, I think we need to take a moment to just celebrate the general filmography of Paul Feig, <laughs> who is the only man who really doesn't have a bad film about female friendships. I mean, Sim Simple Favor is not really about that. But if you look at Bridesmaids and Spy and um, Ghostbusters, Answer the Call, you know, like, these are these are all movies that really just are so well, like, just, you know, to the point of what you were just talking about, you know, like, um, they're not all backstab. I mean, Bridesmaids has some, uh, some competition there, but it's all in the sake of, of women needing friends and not having healthy ways to process yeah. that. Ghostbusters, it's lonely women who come together and find each other, you know, and, and develop just these, like, beautiful friendships together. Well, one of the things I like in Bridesmaids is that the conflict is not, so often the conflict is over a man. Yeah. The conflict between the women is not over a man, it's over a friend. Mm -hmm. It's that sense of, of, you know, your friend changing, growing up, being different than when you were, you know, both single together, both in high school, whatever it was. Um, and so the conflict is really about, is about a, another woman, right? It's about that friendship and being afraid of losing that friendship. And ultimately it works out because they realize that, you know, the woman that, that she hated, right, mm -hmm. really just needed friends. Yeah. She really just needed women to relate to, right? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And ultimately, they realized that they didn't have to be in competition with yeah. each other. They could just, you know, both be friends with her and be friends with each other. And it's beautiful. And I love it's it. Beautiful. And I really want more. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie so much. Uh, I watch it. I, I, I actually rotate between Bridesmaids and Ghostbusters about every, like, two or three months. I watch one of those because I just love them so much. They're funny. They're Im immensely quotable, and they're just good. But so Paul Feig so. has some other great ones, too. I love Spy. <laughs> <laughs> Which also has great female friendships. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, Paul Feig, he knows what he's doing, and he part of the reason is because he lets women help him. <laughs> he wants yes. women to help. They, yes, they women... write these movies. They produce these movies. Exactly, exactly. And he, and he gets actresses that obviously have a good rapport with each other that are, like, you know, very relatable with one another. They obviously, like, Melissa McCarthy and um, Miranda <laughs> Miranda Hart in Spy. Yes. Obviously work off of each other so well. <laughs> they're just, they're, and, and their styles of comedy are are somewhat different, right? Mm -hmm. But they are still so funny together. It just works so well. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. And you know what? I'm going to shout out The Heat, too, because I think that movie gets hated on sometimes, and I don't I, I don't appreciate it, because I love that movie, too. They definitely start off antagonists, but by the end, they have learned to work together, and, um, and I love the journey along the way, and that movie is freaking funny, too. So, yeah. Basically, Paul Feig's entire filmography is my favorite Valentine's Day movie. <laughs> 
What are yeah, some others for you? I got that. Well, another one that I thought of that I think doesn't get talked about enough because I loved it when I went to see it is The Spy Who Dumped Me. Yes. Um, Kate McKinnon, Myla Kunis, uh, Gillian Anderson is in it. <laughs> uh, that guy who is a coat rack. Um, can't remember his name anymore. <laughs> um, that, that was a big Justin Thoreau, folks. She's, she's talking about <laughs> Justin Thoreau. <laughs> uh, but but that one, I honestly think that that film did not do well because of the title. Like they really needed a different title because it 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 reads like oh this is kind of this is going to be sort of stupid and everything. No, it's about friendship. It's about love. It's about like being a badass with your best friend and like defending her and things like that. It is so much fun. It is right up there as far as I'm concerned with things like Spy. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie too. Um... That's that's a good one. I actually was going through making a list for Letterboxd today, and I was like, that needs to be right up there at the top of the list. It's such a good one. Um, I want to say some some a couple that are slightly older. Um, the first Wives Club. Oh uh, yes, three women who come together. They they were old friends. They kind of reunite because one friend dies and they realize they haven't seen each other in a long time and they get back together to um, get some revenge on their ex-husbands who have left them for younger women. And it's it's great. It's Diane Keaton, Goldie Hawn, and Bette Midler, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I mean, you've got, the cast in this movie is so good because you've also got Stockard Channing and Sarah Jessica Parker and Dan Hedaya and Victor Garber, Elizabeth Berkeley, um, Ivana Trump shows up at one point. She says, <laughs> don't, something like, don't get mad, get everything. It's like, yeah. yes, yes. Okay, so I watched, The First Wives Club is one of the films that got me through the 2016 aftermath. <laughs> and I was watching it in my apartment and I was like, you know what, this movie is making me feel so much better, better. And then I'm just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And I was just like, first of all, Thank, great awesome like we love you i'm glad that you're here but also can i not be reminded of trump <laughs> yeah yeah anyway so i love the first wives club it's funny and it's very um it's got a lot of heart and it really has some good things to say about the way women are treated when they're cast off ex-wives but also as they're aging and getting into middle age and and the way that society changes the way it treats them so um so that's one of mine similar-ish faint i'm very very different movie but as far as just like really great casts with really important things to say about women uh, and friendships as they get older steel magnolias is one that um, yeah that's a good one i love that i mean Again, Dolly Parton, you've got Olympia Dukakis, who I love her so much in that movie. She is who, I mean, this came out when I was in high school, and she, like, at a young age, she was like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I love her so much. And Shirley MacLaine is great. And then, of course, Sally Field and Julia Roberts as mother, daughter, and, and just, like, butting heads, but ultimately just loving each other so much. And, yeah, it's a great film. Uh, one, one more that's a little bit older that I wanted to shout out is um, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Yes! Yes, from yes, From 1997. Yes. Great cast. Mira Servino, Lisa Kudrow, uh, Janine Garofalo, Alan Cummings. Justin Appar Thoreau. I know. Apparently, I was looking at the cast list. I was like, 
what the fuck? <laughs> He's and the I, cowboy. <laughs> I 100% do not remember him. I have no idea. I have no, like, I cannot even picture him. <laughs> This, for any listeners who are just joining us, is a long-running issue that I have of not being able to see Justin Thoreau, like, at all. Like, I cannot see him. I just, there's a blank space wherever he is. <laughs> um, but it's such a good movie, again, about just women um, supporting each other and it not being particularly focused on one of them getting married or one of them, you know, finding love or both of them finding love. It's not about that. It really is about their friendship and kind of them being enough for each other also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Um, similar vein, more of the high school part of it. Um, much smarter girls though. Book smart, a recent yes. movie that I think, um, it's too bad that it doesn't exist anymore since it didn't get Oscar nominations. But uh, uh, no, that's that's another one that uh, it was Olivia Wilde's first time behind the camera as a director, and I think what she what she did with that movie and the it, you know it really drives into it's these two girls that have been best friends since they were little little kids, Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver, and they're on that. Like, it's just days before graduation, and they're going to go their separate ways for the first time in their whole lives. And um, they, what I think is so brilliant about it is that they're dealing with this this impending separation um, without dealing with it. And they don't even realize that that's really the issue. Like, consciously, they don't realize it's the issue. They have fights. They, you know, they're, they kind of... You know, they're trying to figure things out and they're each dealing with some very heavy stuff. But it's so funny. It's so sweet. And it's so... It just reminded me in so many ways of the relationship I had with my best friend in high school, too. And so I just... I think that it's such a masterful first film for someone who uh, really understands. And this is where, you know, female filmmakers telling female stories, we need more of that. Obviously, from the movies that we've talked about today, doesn't only, you know, it's not only women that are capable of this, but I think that there's just something that much more special because this story was told uh, from a female perspective, not just with Olivia Wilde, but with the screenplay, which was mm -hmm. uh, co-written by some really great women, too. Yeah, the, the screenplay so often makes a big difference that you mm -hmm. can like you know we've talked about it before you can tell when a woman has had a hand in the screenplay oh yeah um because of the way that women talk to each other and there's just a reality to it that men don't always some men do some like 100 there's some male writers who really get it um but a lot of the time you can i you can almost watch a movie and just be like ah a woman wrote at least part of this mm-hmm um, yep. One more I wanted to mention because it just occurred to me, and I think it's again one that kind of gets left out is Girls Trip. Yes. From uh, 2017. And again, this is one where I think it's the cast that really makes it um, more so than anything else because it's, Re it's Regina Hall, Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Tiffany Haddish. And Tiffany Haddish, this was like one of her big breakthroughs. Mm hmm. Um, and I, it's certainly one of the first times that I was aware of her as, as like an actress or comedian, but she's so fucking funny. <laughs> um, but again, that, that whole thing where it's about friendship, it's about former friendship also, and kind of reigniting that and resurrecting it. 
and um, and that need for women to actually have relationships with other women mm-hmm. uh, that are just as important as your romantic relationships or um, your family relationships. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there are so many more, I think, that we could mention, too. Yes. And we're going to have a list on Letterboxd. Um, so you can go and, and see some of the others that that we love, too. Um, we did get a couple more questions that were related to Valentine's Day and, and Valentine's Day. Um, and Paul Feig. Uh, first of all, Raul, the second part of his question was, um, I rewatched Screwball Comedies for Valentine's. Do you have any favorites? Or any obscure or modern ones you would recommend? Uh, I have a whole bunch of favorites. I love screwball comedy, <laughs> but I'm going to recommend. Um, I'm going to recommend two actually. One is the more the merrier, which is a film from 1943. It is. Uh, it's Gene Arthur and, and Joel McRae, and basically, it's like now we have to be roommates even though we don't really like each other kind of thing um but it's in 1943 so you've got that edge to it it's very funny and um and it's a great sort of romance and um and and it's very sexual like surprisingly so for the 1940s so i really recommend that one uh the other one, I know I'm not 100% certain if you would count this as a screwball comedy, but I'm going to. It does pop up on lists. Is Unfaithfully Yours from 1948, which is a um, Preston Sturgis film about a man who basically thinks he's he's discovered that his wife, whom he absolutely adores, has been unfaithful. And it's about him kind of fantasizing how is he going to confront her? What is he going to do about this? Uh, and it gets increasingly ridiculous as the film goes on. And he has all of these different fantasies, but it is also about their relationship and um, and about the fact that that ultimately he really loves her, <laughs> and she really loves him, and he just doesn't believe it. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I honestly haven't watched that many. Um, it's not. It's not a genre that I've really dived into too much. I should. I know. I was looking at a list today, and I was just like. Cary Grant is in all of these movies. Why haven't yes. I watched them all? <laughs> but, um, I mean, of course, I've seen, like, His Girl Friday, which everyone should mm-hmm. watch. And it's available on streaming on lots of places. So you don't have an excuse. If you haven't seen that one, go watch it. Um, I've seen The Philadelphia Story. I've, you know, some of those I've definitely seen. And, um, but I, it's, I need to explore more. Bringing Up Baby, The Awful Truth, My Favorite Wife. My Favorite Wife isn't as good, I, I I think, but okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for that question. And then we also got a question from Paula Fangirls: In which Paul Feig movie is Henry Golding better? And cast Henry Golding in an old rom com for me to imagine him in. <laughs> and she said charade, <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> So it's a good one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Paul Feig has cast Henry Golding in two movies, A Simple Favor and Last Christmas. Have did you ever get around to seeing Last Christmas? I never I saw remember. Last Christmas, so I'm just gonna say a simple favor. <laughs> well, I mean <laughs> So here's the thing. I love Henry Golding a lot. I think he is darling and I just want him to have a very long and successful career. And his two roles in Paul Feig movies are, um, he's very similar, but the characters are very different. Um, 
I don't know. Actually, maybe now that I've said that, maybe I have to amend. No, I don't think that it's that he's similar. I think he's just so charming and cute that it's easy to um, ignore his shortcomings as his character in A Simple Favor, <laughs> where he's kind of this dumb guy that just goes along with uh, with his wife and um, makes a lot of stupid choices. In Last Christmas... He's just really sweet and perfect in every way. And so I have to say that his character I like a lot more in a, in Last Christmas. But I enjoy him very much in both. Mm -hmm. um, casting him in an old rom-com. One that I thought of because I, I, I haven't really seen him do like comedy comedy. Right. Like he, right. he's he's sort of the tall, dashing, um, very likable lead, but he's not like comedic necessarily. And I actually think he would be great in a remake of the again in Preston Sturgis film, The Lady Eve. Um, mm. and he playing the character that's played by Henry Fonda, because he has a kind of Henry Fonda vibe to me where he's just sort of sweet and earnest. And he's like, he's just really a nice person who can also be very naive. And I think he would be great in that part. So if you haven't seen The Lady Eve, go and watch it and then imagine Henry Golding in the Henry Fonda part. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Let's see. I'm still trying to think about this. I just, I don't know. Because, um, yeah. One of the things that's hard is like, I mean, we know. I have not seen nearly as many classic films as you. And then it's like when you look at lists, it's a lot of, you know, oh, here's some movies from 20 years ago, and that's still this century. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just, I don't know. He's so charming, though. I do love him. I think... Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I think if we're going to just try to really see what he could do with comedy, I would love to see him in one of Tom Hanks's 80s roles, like Joe versus the Volcano. I would love to see if he could pull that off. He, he does have a very, like, young Tom Hanks vibe. Yeah. I would love to see that. <laughs> but also, I don't want them to remake Joe versus the Volcano, because that movie's great. <laughs> Anyway, all right. Well, thank you so much for those questions. Those were great. Um, any final thoughts as we wrap things up, Lauren? No, we've just talked about a whole lot of movies. So maybe, you know, go and watch some of them. <laughs> yes. Watch movies. Watch more movies. And if you already have watched more movies, then watch even more. There's always and more movies. That's, yes. that's the exciting thing. Yes. And also subscribe to a free trial of... Showtime and watch Yellow Jackets. <laughs> Think us later. Spe speaking of female friendships, exactly. Just, like, Perfect for your Galentine's Day binging. <laughs> finally finished that show, and honestly, I I would in fact die for Christina Ricci as Misty. Like one hundred percent, I think she is perfect. Yeah, yeah. People keep saying she's crazy, and I'm like, is she, or is she the only one that's sane? something to think about 
Anyway, uh, well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Thank you so much for listening and for participating and sharing questions. We really love it when you submit questions. It um, it helps us know um, kind of where you would like to see the conversations go to. So, um, yeah, so that was fun. And thank you, Lauren, for indulging me in the Oscar talk. <laughs> no problem. I'm I'm interested in the Oscars. I just wish I had more to contribute to these things other than like, well, I don't like that movie very much. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we um, we would also especially like to thank the patrons that help make this show possible and keep things running. Um, they are Adriana, Ali, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. If you would like to join them and become a patron yourself, it's patreon.com slash citizen dame. Currently we have, you know, you get early access to, to episodes two days early. Um, we do have bonus episodes. We're going to be recording one on Tuesday this week, so you'll have that very, very soon. It looks like it's down to two movies. It's kind of a neck-and-neck race here, so we'll see what the final um, final film ends up being, but it's pretty exciting. Uh, we also are uh, doing some stuff. We've been promising changes. Changes are happening. They are underway. Um, so we'll be having bonus content you know, exclusively on Patreon uh, coming up starting, starting this next week. So we're going to have, I'm going to do a series of written content, um, that was originally going to be on the website like years ago. And then it just kind of never happened. Now it's going to be Patreon exclusive and we're going to do some more events and some crossover episodes with other podcasts and things. So it's going to be lots of fun. We, we, We've been promising stuff for a while, but it really has been in the works and now it's finally here. So we're ready to roll some stuff out. Uh, and speaking of which, we also have made a lot of changes and updates to the Zazzle store. So Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame Pod. We have new updated logo merchandise in there. We're going to be adding new uh, new stuff and rotating things out, you know, every week or two or three. Um, so you'll be seeing much more frequent um additions there. So that's going to be fun. Um, and then we also have our ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. And of course we have the website where we like to review stuff. And my review of death on the Nile will be there this weekend. So you can read that (laughs) citizendamepod.com. You can send us an email if you have thoughts or comments and don't, uh, don't do the social media or don't want to, and that's cool. CitizenDamePod at gmail.com. And if you would like to reach out to us or follow us on social media, we're on Twitter and Instagram at CitizenDamePod and Letterboxd at CitizenDame. And like I said, we will have a Galentine's Day list um, on our Letterboxd. Lauren, where can people find you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Have a great week and watch more movies. Bye. All I ever wanted was for people to think that we were better than we were in high school. And now we're just a stupid joke, just like we always were. No, Romy. Can I tell you the truth? I never knew that we weren't that great in high school. I mean, we always had so much fun together. I thought high school was a blast. And until you told me that our lives weren't good enough, 
I thought everything since high school was a blast. I think we should go back out there as ourselves and just have fun like we always do. The hell with everyone else. I don't think I can. Well, do you think you can stop being such a baby? God, I feel like I've been like chasing you all over this reunion. We have come all this way. Now we are going to enjoy ourselves whether you like it or not. God, Michelle, I've never seen this side of your personality before. You're so bossy and domineering. I like it. Me too. 